Shall we begin? Why not? Welcome to Frankie Sense and More. It's like she's got a whole lot of goodness for you with a little bit of sass. Frankie, did you just say... She sure did. Not to mention, along with... Whoops. Join us now as Frankie Picasso and her new co-host mix it up with authors, musicians, and interviews with world-changing people. Let's begin Okay, let's begin now, because it only makes sense. Shall we begin? Why not? Welcome to Frankie Sense and More. It's like she's got a whole lot of goodness for you with a little bit of sass. Frankie, did you just say... She sure did. Not to mention... (laughs) Along with... Whoops... Join us now as Frankie Picasso and her new co-host mix it up with authors, musicians, and interviews with world-changing people. Let's begin Okay, let's begin now, because it only makes sense. And welcome. Welcome to Frankie Sense and More. Welcome to 2016. Happy New Year, everybody. And may your lives be blessed with Good health, prosperity, and loads of love. Please take that love and show it to others this year. Make 2016 the year we become conscious and look for ways to help the people, the planet, the animals, those who need us the most. Frankie Sense and More is part of the Good Radio Network and as a socially conscious talk radio show, you guys know it's my mission to keep reminding you that together we can make changes in the world. We don't have to make grand gestures. We just need to stand up and give voice money, a bit of time to affect change. My two guests today know all about how to affect the world. But first, let's check in with my co-host today, Arlie. Arlie, it's a Canadian show today. You're going to feel a little bit funny. <laughs> hey, how I'm, are you? I'm used to feeling funny. Yeah. How's Mexico? Um, it's been really cold. We've had a cold front, and that is very unusual for us here. And as you may know, most of us don't have heat in the house yes. because we don't need it. So when the temperature drops to 40 degrees, we all freeze to death. Oh, my gosh. That's <laughs> and I, awful. And I know from your perspective, that's probably a heat wave. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we, we had a super, super warm Christmas, as the other Canucks will tell you on the line. It was just really kind of strange. felt weird. Uh, it was very warm. Like you could wear shorts almost. (laughs) Anyway, I've got a few fabulous updates um, about our project partners I want to get in before we start the show. Owie Bow Wowie. She's celebrating uh, his 29th birthday. And in honor of this, founder Gina Woods has set up a new campaign called Toodaloo to Loneliness. Did you know that each year over 20 million children are hospitalized and nearly 8 million of these kids have no family or friends who are able to visit them? It's really sad. So if you go to the Good Radio Network on Facebook or you go to www.crowdrise.com slash I love Owie, you can participate in that campaign. Just give a buck. You know, we're going to be sending um, a whole host of Owie Bow Owies to a hospital in uh, somewhere in California. I can't remember the name of the hospital at the moment, but each of the Owies uh, is a comfort companion and he comes with a book. He comes with a Band-Aid on him. He's a plush 12-inch uh, dog who is approved and therapeutically designed for these 
important for these kids, kids who have long-term stays in hospitals. And he also comes um, with his blanket and a reusable carrying bag, and he's always delivered with a hug, and the kids just love him because there's nobody else to go to x-rays with them or take blood with them. They get to hold their owie, and it's just amazing. Also, an active dog museum of compassion. They still need our help to make this a reality, and Mark Barone has given up four years of his life to work on this project. He's painted 5,500 portraits of real dogs who have been killed in shelters across the USA. 5,500, the number of how many are killed daily. And Marco Marina's Museum of Compassion will house all of his paintings. Now imagine it's going to take up two football fields. Crazy. It's going to be amazing, a legacy that's going to live on and continue to save the lives of, of these wonderful animals. So please go to www.anactofdog.org, purchase one of his G-clays or nightlights. I've got eight nightlights in my house of these dogs, and I absolutely love them. So it's pretty cool. I hear some beeping. i got to look in my window here. <laughs> I don't know. what Green, I can't see the window. I'm sorry. You have to go the other window. Uh, today, as usual, we are aligning ourselves with the United Nations Global Goals, and today's goal is appropriately number 15, life on land. So go to www.globalgoals.org, and you can help, too. We closed 2016 speaking with Mark the Vet, who we love, and I'm excited to open 2016 with another man I already love, my next guest. Rob Laidlaw. You know, Rob is passionate. He's an advocate and an activist for those who are giving a vote. You know, he's giving a voice to those who can't speak for them, for themselves, uh, you know, for their own behalf, the wild animals of the world. He is a chartered biologist, executive director of wildlife protection charity ZooCheck, a small Canadian-based international wildlife protection campaign charity that he established in 1984 to promote and protect the interests and well-being of wild animals. He's the author of these amazing seven books, children's books, about wildlife um, and animal welfare issues, which I think can never start too young. And for more than 35 years, he's either conducted or participated in a broad range of wildlife protection and animal welfare campaigns. Now, he also, uh, I love this, he um, he won, he is a 2014, sorry, recipient of the Canadian Federation of Humane Societies, the Frederick A. McGrand Award for significant contribution to animal welfare in Canada. And they had to say about Rob, Rob has demonstrated a relentless dedication and commitment to improving animal welfare in Canada and around the world. He has spent more than 30 years working to protect animals of all kinds. And throughout the ups and downs, he's never lost his hope that he can directly impact things for the betterment of all animals. Welcome, Rob. <laughs> Thank you for having what, me on the show. What a legacy. <laughs> Fantastic. Wow. So, you know, some of the first things I noticed about ZooCheck, um, it's based in Toronto. That's pretty cool. And I'm just wondering, um, you know, one of the campaigns that, that I had spoken to, I guess your, I don't know if it's your partner or assistant about, was the wild horses in Alberta. And I know that we want to talk about the elephants because that's just so sad. Let's, like, where do you want to start? I'm happy to start anywhere with you. Oh, God, that's a very difficult question, but uh, I guess uh, given the broad continuum of things we've been involved in, you can pick any one of them, so why not wild horses? Yeah, why not wild horses? You know, it's kind of fun because our, our next guest, Dean McTaggart, has a song called Dark Horse, which is appropriate. Uh, not about horses, but appropriate, nevertheless. So let's talk about the wild horses. What is going on? Why, why does the Alberta government want to kill horses? 
Well, that's a very good question. Uh, I think ultimately, like many other issues, it comes down to the politics of the issue. You have certain uh, people uh, within society. Uh, in Alberta, it's primarily ranchers and some of the forestry <clears throat> community and a few other people like that that are basically aligned or involved in uh, industries that use the land or extract resources from the land. And they see the horses as a bit of a nuisance. And uh, what they do is they perpetuate this idea that horses are invasive, they shouldn't be there, and that they're damaging the environment. But unfortunately, while those uh, particular ideas have gained traction, particularly within government, uh, they're false. They don't stand up to scrutiny. There's no evidence that horses are causing any problems whatsoever. And in fact, uh, our position is that they should be considered as native wildlife because they co-evolved uh, in that habitat. In fact, horses emerged in North America before spreading to other parts of the world. And they can serve very beneficial ecological functions on the landscape. So the whole thing is, is really uh, not science-based. It's unethical. And and uh, it's all uh, to do with politics more than with the reality on the ground and, and these animals themselves. So, you know, that's wrong. And there are very few people out there in an organized way challenging these kinds of issues. And we're the type of group that doesn't shy away from that. We don't care if an animal is particularly photogenic or cuddly or whatever. If it's right. unfair and the system is working against them, then we feel they deserve a voice. And that's why we get involved in, in a lot of issues where it's animals that the big groups like World Wildlife Fund and Canadian Wildlife Federation, they don't touch. You know, We like to get involved in those issues. And we like to work the politics of issues as well to try to come up with some resolution that is in favor of the animals. So I think there's uh, about there were maybe 880 feral horses is that what they're saying around 880 and they wanted to capture 60 like what's that like that doesn't even make sense well They've got various uh, management zones, horse management zones, and within those zones, uh, which, depending on how you measure them, can be between 10 and 20,000 square kilometers of landscape, there are an estimated, and the latest count is actually 770 horses, okay. uh, and they're claiming they're causing ecological damage. Now, it's kind of kind of crazy because this is a landscape that's riddled with roads, ATV trails, clear cuts, gas wells, oil pipelines, you name it, it's in there. And uh, when you add into that mix, you know, hundreds of thousands of cattle, it's kind of ludicrous that 770 horses spread over right. 10 to 20,000 square kilometers could cause any damage at all. You could put in 770 elephants and not see any damage. But uh, what they've done is they're trying to placate the uh, extraction people that don't want the horses by saying, uh, okay, we'll collect up some of them under the Stray Animals Act, this permitting process, and hopefully that will satisfy the ranching community. And by not collecting them all up, by leaving some on the landscape, hopefully that will satisfy all these animal rights looney tunes that are out there yeah. complaining about it. So they're trying to walk this middle line. But like I said, it's not science-based. It's not ethical. If they're going to manage the horses and we agree they should be managed, they shouldn't be managing their numbers down. They should be managing their numbers way up because of the beneficial ecological uh, attributes of, of having horses on the landscape. Well, maybe you can help us there. What are the benefits to having the horses there? Well, there's all kinds of benefits. Uh, you know, we, we dealt with this actually uh 
in the 90s as well with uh, a large population of horses on Canadian Forces Base Suffield in near Medicine Hat, Alberta. And during that time, they were saying the same things, that horses are damaging the environment and all that, and there was no evidence to show that that was in fact true. And when you look at what the horses actually do on the landscape, they fulfill uh, the niches, the ecological niches that that existed uh, previously as as they evolved with the landscape. So uh, they can actually be beneficial to vegetation in that, uh, you know, the way that they forage uh, leads to regeneration. In the wintertime, they can break open water holes uh, in ponds and in streams uh, when there's ice so that other animals can then access uh, wow. fresh liquid water. They create trails in the forest uh, that other animals follow, so that's a benefit. Uh, I've got to stop you there, Rob, because we're about to go to a commercial break. But when we come back, we're going to find out more about the animals. And okay. we're going to meet Dean. And we're going to have everybody come in the conversation. So that would be okay, wonderful. Then. So stay tuned and stay close because we're coming right back in just a second. Thank you. No, we're just getting warmed up. Frankie Sense and more will be right back after we pay the bills. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors, all quilters just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Late afternoon snacking can really be a challenge. Vending machines seem to be everywhere, whether you are in an office building, hospital, or school. While most vending machine snacks are not low-calorie, there are a few smart picks. Weight Watchers recommends choosing an energy bar, a cereal bar, or a trail mix that does not include candy. Avoid peanut butter cups, frosted pastries, cookies, and chips. Sometimes all it takes is a diet soda to curb that late afternoon hunger. While diet soda is not a healthy choice, it keeps calories low and fills you up until you can get some wholesome food. The best course of action is to plan for those energy dips and long hours by bringing in fresh fruit, low-fat cheese, and yogurt. Avoiding vending machines is also a good idea. Be sure to plan ahead. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. And we're back, and thank you for staying tuned to us because we have a wonderful show still to come. Dean McTaggart is coming up. He is, uh, I'm just so so excited to have him on the show again. I'm especially pleased because I interviewed him a couple years ago on Frankie and Johnny, and every time I hear him or I see him live, he makes me happy. And I don't know if it's his great hair or not, but (laughs) Dean always has this beautiful secret smile on his face. You always think he has a big secret that he's holding with. Holding back. His professional career started as a lead singer songwriter for the Canadian pop band The Arrows in 1981. 
their independent release Misunderstood was followed up by two albums for A&M Records and the hit singles Meet Me in the Middle, Talk Talk, and Heart of the City. Who remembers that? When the band broke up in 86, Dean went on to become a staff songwriter penning many hits, including Heaven Help My Heart, a top 10 song for country superstar Winona Judd, Dark Horse, what we're going to hear today, number one in Canada for Amanda Marshall, which Elton John called a surefire hit on Rosie O'Donnell, Birmingham, my personal favorite song, a top 20 song worldwide for Amanda Marshall, as well as hits for Anne Murray, Australian superstar Tina Arena, Terry Clark, Kelly Coffey, John Barry, the list goes on, uh, The Who, Johnny Reed, John McDermott, the Rankin family, gosh, he's just everybody. My favorite girl, Susie Vinnick, and many, many others. Dean was twice nominated for Juno for Songwriter of the Year, and he has really just written the best of songs for amazing people around the world. How are you feeling? I feel good. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah, you know, after like I, that intro, how can I feel anything but great? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, you know, I wish everybody could just see your smiling face right now because I know that you're probably just beaming. You always make everybody smile. It's just something about you. Well, and, that's nice of you to say that. I didn't, I didn't know that I did that, but uh, I'm happy to hear that. That's for sure. You didn't know that you looked like you had a big secret, <laughs> no. and nobody else knows. <laughs> no. No, that's what that. that's what you look like, but it, it's just absolutely phenomenal. And I think that as the years go on, you just get better and better. Well, thanks. I like to think that there's still a a, a few good years left. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure there are. I'm yeah. sure there are. How yeah. many songs have you written this year? Uh, so far this year, I'm working on a couple. Uh, I found as as uh, as I get a little bit older that uh, I'm taking a little bit more time with stuff. Uh, um, than I used to, but uh, I, I like to think the qualities. Maybe, maybe the songs are a little bit better. So, I think they're yeah, amazing. Now you're playing. Are you still playing? You're playing. Um, you, you play by yourself, and you also play in a band. What's the band now? Well, I, I've had a number Pick of bands the over the last few years. The last band I had was a, a band called Ultrasound, which was a three-piece horn band, sort of an. Old, I love that band. Like yeah, a fun it, it, it band. was a great band, but unfortunately, it's uh, trying to get. Uh, Keep uh, eight guys in line. It was an eight-piece band, yeah. uh, especially when they're they're you know they're like me and they've been around the block a few times. Uh, and to find a gig that's going to pay eight guys of this caliber what they're worth is 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 a little tough at times. Yeah, so, for sure. For the most part, I do the singer-songwriter thing, uh, which is probably what you've seen me do, which is you know the writers' nights and stuff. And and I love that. I love that. Yeah. That's where I feel most comfortable. I can I can just take my guitar and not worry about setting anything else up and just be myself and it's I, I love those gigs i've never done a bad gig like that well everybody and surely enjoys you and if they don't know who you are they certainly know your music and we're going to play dark horse now and i'm going to let it play it's about five minutes i think we're going to let it play mostly through <clears throat> just amazing Chris. 
single time it's beautiful <laughs> it never gets old well thank you yeah what, what came first with that song dean the the melody the words um we had already written birmingham uh when we wrote that so we just kind of sat down and and uh uh for, for the most part the music came first i i had i had the chorus written for I won't say I had a, the lyric written. Uh, it was I won't say it was for another song, but I, I had it done. And I once we'd written that music, I I, uh, I brought that course. I, I never get rid of anything as, as a as a writer. You always you know make sure you've got stuff logged. And, and sure. I, and I brought it back out, and it seemed to fit. And uh, and you know that song has been. Uh, has been a door opener and has done a lot of things for, for me and, and my family for the most part. Yeah. Wow, just beautiful. Thank you. I, I wish you, I, I want you to stick around, but I wish you continued success. Be, I mean, because you, you so really much. bring a lot of joy to a lot of people. You really do. Well, thank you so much. Do you, do you remember that song, you guys? Do you, ever, do you remember hearing it, Rob? Oh, yes, absolutely. And I think I saw the Arrows uh, in their early days. I used to be a musician in a former life, so followed everybody at that time. Oh, wonderful. That's <laughs> well, awesome. Unfortunately, it was not a hit here in Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think only because most Mexicans don't understand um, American or Canadian sentiment or the language. Oh, mm-hmm. interesting. 
But the melody is beautiful. Oh, yes. The melody is beautiful. Thanks. Yeah. <clears throat> I want to know about the, the, um, the elephants. Now, because I was reading the report on the elephants, Rob, about uh, the elephants in Canada and, and how there really isn't one zoo or place that, is, um, that w can really be recommended for it. They shouldn't even be in captivity. Let's start there. Let's talk about the elephants. Their yeah, yeah, certainly. And issues. Yeah, certainly that, that's an issue that's been a big one for us, particularly in the last few years uh, when we were trying to secure the release of the Toronto Zoo elephants and then we're able to do that and move them to California. But, yeah, if you look right across the board at zoos around the world, or at least urban zoos, you see that the elephants are having a, a great deal of, of difficulty. Um, you know, not only are the populations in captivity diminishing because of arthritis and foot problems and skeletal problems and obesity and elephant herpes virus and you name it, uh, but, uh, you know, for those that are surviving, their lives are uh, quite miserable because really they have no ability to do anything that they've evolved to do. So they're kept in these small spaces, they're not very complex, they're not very flexible, so in other words, they're boring, they're not in the proper social context. If you looked at elephants and how they lived in the wild and then looked at how they lived in the zoo, then I think any reasonable, intelligent person would say, hey, this uh, zoo situation isn't very good and we have to do better. So, yeah, well, in Canada, we've got a real problem with, with elephants, although the numbers are dropping quite dramatically in Canada. Dropping because we're getting better at it or dropping because they're dying? Uh, Actually, uh, I don't think we're getting better at it, but okay. they are dying. You know, yeah. uh, the Bowmanville Zoo's last elephant died. Uh, the Calgary Zoo sent their elephants to the United States on, on humanitarian grounds. We got uh, the Toronto elephants out. Uh, there are still elephants here, but, um, you know, they Didn't are diminishing. Did one of those elephants die when it went to California? Uh Iringa was an elephant that when we moved her, we knew, um, you know, she had the most difficulty. She had very long-term chronic health issues, mm -hmm. and uh, we were very pleased. She had survived 22 months at the sanctuary, so she was able to, to gain strength, to climb tall hills, rip down trees, swim in lakes, and all that. So, you know, we're very pleased that she had that length of time to end her life rather than just going to another zoo and, you know, to keep her showing up when morning and right. finding her dead, dead on the floor. Uh, but the other two elephants, Toka and Aring, uh, Toka and Sika, uh, are doing very well. They're doing all the things that elephants like to do, and in fact, uh, uh, all signs are that they're having a really good time. Because I was reading that elephants like to make decisions. They make decisions, and they can't do that in captivity. They don't get to think. Yeah, exactly. You, and in fact, that's, that's the case for a lot of animals. You know, when, when you think about it, you know, they're not uh, automatons. They don't get up in the morning and have everything pre-programmed by instinct. They get up. They make decisions. You know, where do I want to go? What do I want to do? Who do I want to associate with? You know, some of those decisions are very small. Some of them, if you're like an elephant matriarch that's responsible for the safety of the family, uh, then those, you know, decisions can also be life-altering. So, yeah, you know, all animals take all kinds of decisions. And when you stick them in a cage, uh, you restrict or eliminate the ability for them to do that and that's how they make a contribution to the quality of their own lives if you know um, we we take away decision making when we put people in prison we say your light's going I off gotta, today i gotta go to a break i'm so sorry uh, okay no problem <laughs> we'll be right back don't go away we're gonna hear from Rob. just getting warmed up 
Frankie Sense and more will be right back after we pay the bills. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting Magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors, all quilters just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Walking is one of the easiest ways to stay fit. A long-term study published by the American Heart Association indicates that women who walk two or more hours per week have a much lower risk of stroke than women who don't walk for exercise. Researchers found that walking for two or more hours per week resulted in a 30% lower risk of stroke. Walking at a brisk pace for three miles per hour or faster translates to a 37% lower risk of stroke. Remember that being active is essential to promoting cardiovascular health, and walking is a simple way of achieving physical exercise. So put on those athletic shoes and sunscreen and head outside for an exhilarating and beneficial walk. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Do you love animals? Because we love animals. <laughs> and if you love animals and you love music, then you are listening to the right show today. We were just talking off air, off air about people who don't love animals, and it's kind of hard not to love animals. And as well as we're talking about, you know, having um, giving voice to to these animals and compassion, teaching your children about compassion. That's one of the things an active dog museum of compassion wants to do is teach the next generation how to be compassionate for animals and that's uh, rob's books do that uh he's got seven of them one is called five elephants and you've got uh, no shelter here making the world a kinder place for dogs on parade the hidden world of animals and entertainment you know people love to go to the circus but man those animals are not well treated no, they're not. And I think once people find out what's going on, a significant percentage of them decide not to support those kinds of businesses that use animals. Uh, and we're seeing that with the circus industry. It's it's gradually going to go the way of the dinosaurs all over the world. It's being challenged successfully. Many countries are banning wild animal acts and circuses. And I think probably the, the key thing that's happened in North America recently that shows where the trend is going is that Ringling Brothers and Barnum & Bailey, which was the largest private circus in the world, they announced that uh, within a year or two, they will completely phase out the use of elephants. So, you know, the writing's on the wall. We're going to see success for the animals uh, with regard to circuses and those types of acts. The um, I, I read somewhere, I can't remember where I read it, that you wrote something about exotic animals, that we shouldn't have exotic animals, that we shouldn't keep them, like snakes yeah. and tarantulas, yeah. I don't know, different kinds of animals. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's something I've I believed for a very long time. And in fact, I used to keep exotic animals when I was a kid. I had all kinds of reptiles and fish. And one day I looked at them and thought, wow, what a miserable life they lead. I get something. I get this nifty hobby. I, you know, maybe in front of my friends, it increases my my uh, uh, worth to them or or my profile to them a little bit. But it it was completely one sided. I got something out of that hobby, but the animals got nothing except misery and death. So. So, you know, part of what we're doing in my organization now is we're going to try to change the paradigm for a lot of these animals that are traditionally kept as exotic pets, uh, particularly the small animals like the reptiles, uh, mm-hmm. amphibians, fish, and birds. Um, a lot of people treat them like they're sort of biological robots, but these are animals that if you look at the science, they share all of the same uh, cognitive emotional and social uh, capabilities uh, that we have. Uh, you know, it, it varies in degree, but they have them. They're not these biological robots that can be kept in small containers or glass right. aquariums or drawers. You know, they need to have their needs met if we're going to be humane to them. Like, I mean, some animals probably like to be on their own and other animals like to be social. So, you know, it's really knowing your animal, too. Yeah, and that's one of the problems with the exotic pet trade. Like if you look at reptiles alone, there's 700 species in trade. Well, very few of those species have ever been comprehensively studied in the wild, and yet they're coming into people's homes in North America, Japan, and Europe. And people are just by trial and error trying to keep them alive, and that's why 90% of them die within 24 months of reaching the consumer. Oh, wow. You know, think think about that if it were dogs. The shelters adopted out dogs and 90% of them died within 24 months. Well, people would be uh, outraged about that. But it's commonplace uh, for these other animals, and that's something we have to change. You were um, a former Humane Society inspector. How are we doing? In, how are we doing in Canada? Well, it varies from... Go. Yeah, it varies uh, from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. I think uh, the trend in humane societies is towards uh, things that are good, group housing of dogs, connecting with rescue organizations, uh, you know, moving dogs around on an as-needed basis, making shelters more people-friendly so that people actually want to come to them, uh, expanding their opening hours to make them more accessible for adoptions and things like that. So I think there's a lot of trends in humane societies and shelters that are very good, and hopefully that will continue in the future. But that's not to say that the problems have been solved because there's still huge problems with with, uh, you know, discarded and unwanted dogs, and certainly with cats as well. I think yeah. one of the things you have to look at is, is <clears throat> I, we need to teach compassion at a very early age. I mean, children have it, but we tend to educate it out of them as opposed to um, impact it. that and make it nurtured. Yeah, I think that that's uh, 100% correct. Uh, I've, I've hardly met a kid that didn't uh, want to help animals and that, didn't love animals. And in fact, when I go to schools, you know, sometimes I'll talk to a thousand kids and they'll ask, you know, who likes animals, who has animals and all that. And most of them put up their hands. There's this tremendous uh, receptiveness to, to being humane, to learning about animals, to wanting to help them. And I think it is drummed out of them uh, yeah. to a certain extent. And certainly, we've, we've even heard that with vet schools where people go in wanting to be a vet to help animals. And uh, that whole perspective is drummed out of them and a lot of them end up quitting. So that's something we definitely have to change. Wow. I was going to be a vet. First thing I was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. You know, it's, it's it's so interesting though that that man. Now I go see vets because I got a dog who who ends up being 
I don't know. It's take a lot, but but every every vet is, and I let him choose his vet. We went around to different vets, and I said, okay, you choose the one that you like because you're the one who has to see him. Wow. And he did. Yeah, it was interesting. It was kind of cool. Yeah, and, I, and I'm not. I just wanted to to clarify. I'm not trying to say that vets don't care. There are many. No, vets. no, we, no. We work with sure many of them that that do yeah. care very deeply yeah. about the animals that they work with and animals generally. But uh, you know, in vet school, there are certainly quite a number of people that. Uh, you know that that sort of animal rights perspective that they want to bring to their industry is sort of uh, downplayed or discarded or or put aside. I mean, I was at a vet and they've got they've got every day they're putting a new pet out in their lobby, and it wasn't it didn't feel like um, it felt like a puppy mill. It didn't feel like you know here we're going to save these animals. Yeah, and, and they're charging uh, a lot of money, and I thought that's just ridiculous. You guys shouldn't mm-hmm. be doing that at all. Didn't seem appropriate to me. Yeah, well, certainly there are vets that are more business-focused or have uh, other interests, perhaps. But, uh, you know, hopefully they're in the minority and hopefully the progressives within the industry will, you know, uh, pull it along with, with their views. Well, this, this Christmas, I was fortunate enough to be able to buy all my kids um, Rocky and Friends, which is the SPCA's uh, new program here where you can buy a bunch of stuffed animals. Re- these were based on real animals that were saved by, by the Humane Society. Um, and then that money goes to continue to further saving other animals, which is really cute. And, and something was really great for kids and grandkids. If you have any and you wanted to help them, I would suggest you go and buy that. that it's, a, it's a great education fun. tool as well. Yeah. Yeah. Could I, you know, could I ask where where are Rob's books available? Are, can I get them online? Yeah. yeah get them on any, Amazon. Any traditional booksellers. Uh, okay. can, Amazon or something like that? Yep. Yep. Uh, okay. You know, throughout yep. the United States and Canada. I found them all on Amazon, Dean. Good to know. Yeah, and they they look great. They look beautiful, and I, I think uh, it's you know the kind of thing that you want to teach children um, to understand. Maybe you know, like I, I live maybe fifteen minutes from African Lion Safari, and I've never been because I don't believe in it. You know, I think it's just cruel and inhumane uh, to take your car. People go, oh, the monkeys are going to wreck my car. Who cares? You know, but but it's just a horrible in in Marine Land. I I haven't gone to Marine Land. In probably in 30 years, I wouldn't. I didn't take my kids. I'm sorry, we're not going. Uh, I don't believe in that. So I mean, people say, "How do you? How do you know it's there?" So maybe I should go. No, if you don't go, at least you're giving voice to. I'm not supporting it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ultimately, you know, uh, on one level, uh, that's the answer that people don't support these businesses, uh, and if they don't, they won't be profitable, and and they won't be around for very long. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of people still do, although the numbers are static or declining for many individual uh, institutions. And I believe that's the case with Marineland, particularly after the last few years of, of uh, controversy that they've been facing. Yeah, right. With, with the CNN uh, documentary, I know that there, there was a lot, of, lot being said that didn't make Is SeaWorld still up big, big down there in San Diego? Yes, but they're they're changing a lot of their formulas of how they treat animals and such. I mean, the Blackfish just about closed them down. Yeah. Oh. And, you know, that controversy really brought it home to people how important it is that we think of these 
as they are businesses. They're right. not institutions of compassion. They're a business. And I think that's where people get caught up because they, they feel taking my children there educates them about you know these, these animals. When yet these animals in the background are being tortured, they're being you know locked in cages, they're not right. given the freedom to move around. Yeah, and, and to a certain extent, blackfish, you know, expose the illusion of SeaWorld, and that's something that hopefully will happen with many other institutions, because when you go to even a place like the Toronto Zoo, what you see is a sanitized perspective on the animals. It's it's designed for the visitor rather than the animals, and right. it's even, even more so in other types of places. Like a lot of people who go down to Marineland and look at the beluga whales, they don't know that those belugas, or many of them, were snatched from the wilds in Russia. Mm -hmm. You know, they mm -hmm. don't know how these animals uh, originated. They don't know how they're handled. Uh, in the case of many terrestrial animals and zoos, they don't know that the animal that they see in that nice cage during the day, maybe when the keepers go home at 4 o'clock, it's stuck in the stall in, in the back and then it's let out at 9 the next morning. So there's a lot of things that uh, people don't know. And once they learn them, their perspective does change. We've seen this uh, you know, very substantively in many people. Yeah, I think it would. I, I remember the old Riverdale Zoo, and then I think oh, then yeah. when the, the big zoo happened out in Pickering, you know, in Toronto, people thought, wow, like they get to roam, they get to, you know, but it's still not enough. It just wasn't big enough. Just not good exactly, enough. Exactly, exactly. I, re I remember when I was a kid doing projects, uh, school projects uh, on the Riverdale Zoo. Yeah. And, uh, and then I thought, the Toronto Zoo was was very good when it opened, and and uh, I have to admit that when it did open 35 years or 40 years ago, it was quite innovative. But today, it's not. It's a tired old zoo, and it desperately needs changed, uh, especially from the philosophical perspective. Right. Wow. Well, when we come back, we're going to go to break shortly, I think, in about another minute and a little bit. So we got another minute and a little bit to talk. Um, but I want to know where. Uh, all the places that you've been, where the animals that you saved, and how we can help save animals. I mean, those bears in, in China are just, oh, it just drives me insane when I think about those poor bears, you know, just tied up to a log. And, and like, what a life. I mean, I'd rather go shoot them, really. I'd rather go shoot them all than have them have to live like that. Yeah, it sounds sounds very, very, very harsh. Uh, but for many animals, in many circumstances, uh, they would be better off dead. And like a veterinarian friend of mine says, death is not a welfare issue, life is. Yes. And uh, I think if you're faced with, uh, with an impoverished, horrible life of suffering or dying, that probably the animals would say, well, give me, give me the dying. Right. Uh, but how, how can people help? I think the way is that you just have to do something, anything. Find your place on the continuum and always seek to improve. It can be 10 minutes a week. It can be devoting your whole life. But find your place and always seek to improve. Do something. Perfect place anything. to go to a break. Perfect. Okay. Stay, stick around. We're get, we are going to come back. Getting warmed up. Frankie Sense and more will be right back after we pay the bills. This is Uncommon Sense for Leaders, a forum for exploring leadership from the intellect, the heart, and the spirit. Whether you're a leader now or aspire to be a leader in the future, you owe it to yourself to learn about the big ideas that have shaped the careers of compelling communicators, masters of influence, and highly effective leaders. Uncommon Sense for Leaders. Tune in to hear thought-provoking ideas on every aspect of leadership. You can expect dynamic discussions with special guests, quick tips you can apply immediately for better results, and the tools you need to take you from where you are to where you want to be as a leader. 
Are you ready to crack the code for achieving unprecedented results? Then join the host for Uncommon Sense for Leaders, Catherine Carlisi, every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on the All Business Radio Network. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. According to Health Day, nearly half of all sports injuries suffered by middle and high school age children are due to overuse. Several sports that used to be seasonal are now becoming year-round, and the child uses the same muscles and motion over and over again and can sustain injuries. People think playing year-round is supposed to make them better, but more isn't always better. Young kids are a lot more vulnerable because they have cartilage that's soft, muscles that are weak, and they're still growing. Physical activity is important for children and adults alike. Just be sure that you are cross-training and doing several different types of activities so that overuse injuries do not happen to you or your children. Keep your children on the field or court and out of the operating room. I'm Annette Hammond. If you're a fan of Fitness Minute, like us on Facebook at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. And you're still here because you must love animals <laughs> and you love music. So that's, that's amazing. We were, I want to know where Rob has gone in his travels to help save the animals. And we want to talk about how you can save animals because, um, you know, who doesn't want to do that? We can save the dogs with an active dog. And let's see how we can save some, some wild animals who really, really need our help. Who, who's desperate? Rob, who's desperate for us? Oh, take your pick. Uh... You know, there's no shortage of issues out there, and it doesn't yeah. matter where you're situated in the world. You can be in India, China, Singapore, Toronto, London. It doesn't matter. There are animals in need, and many of them are domesticated animals like cats, dogs, uh, domesticated livestock. Many of them are wild animals. And I think what people need to do if they want to help is find something an issue or an animal that they're passionate about and learn about the realities that those animals face or that that species face. And then you have to figure out how can you contribute to resolving the problems that these animals face. And like I said just before the break, you know, sometimes that may be just sitting at your computer and looking up, who do I write to? It could be 10, 15 minutes a week. Uh, mm -hmm. For other people, and, and I know people who have done this, they drop everything that they're doing in their lives, including their professions, and they become full-time uh, advocates for animals. You know, not everybody can do that, but, you know, everybody can do something. So find that animal and that issue that you're passionate about and figure out within your life how can you make a contribution to helping that animal out. Nice. Dean, have you ever been to the donkey sanctuary near near Cambridge? No. It is so bring your grandkids out there. It's amazing. I, I adopted a couple of donkeys out there. But they, these donkeys, you know, they they've been on farms or they've been in different places and a lot of them have never you know, they came crippled because they didn't have their toenails shorn or anything. And and so they have these beautiful donkeys and they're all just there being cared for and wandering around and being donkeys, which is, is really that nice. Cambridge? Yeah, it's just a just kinda of near Cambridge Guelph area. I don't know Kitchener. I don't know what they call it because it's, you know, kind of just out maybe it's Puss Lynch. Is it do they have a site online that I could find out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Call, look up the Donkey Sanctuary, and you can go there. And it's it's a farm, so they have education, but they also have a you know a little store, and you go 
pet the donkeys and meet donkeys oh. and stuff. Yeah, it's kind of fun. The I wanted to ask you, who who's the kindest to their animals? What country? Oh, geez, uh, that's a very, very difficult question because it depends on which animals you're talking about. But I think if you were to to look at which, which country has sort of an entrenched ethic, both legally and politically and culturally, that favors animals, I would probably say India. Now, that doesn't always manifest itself in real life, but certainly uh, it's there. I'll give you an example. Uh, India, a number of years ago, banned uh, four types of animals in circuses, so lions, tigers, sloth, bears, and uh, I think there was one other type of animal. And even though they're faced with a litany of problems in India, infrastructure, poverty, all of that, their ethic is so entrenched that the government said, if we're banning these animals, we have to provide them with lifetime homes. So they funded building sanctuaries for these animals to go to. Wow. Uh, that's something that in Canada, never in a million years no. would that happen. Uh, but it happened in India. So, you know, I think India in terms of that ethic is probably one of the most evolved. Uh, Scandinavia is good on some issues. Uh, and then you really have to cherry pick issues in other countries. But, uh, you know, there are some bright spots. Uh, there's a lot of dark uh, negative spots, but there are some bright spots uh, as well. And I think we could all learn in terms of the ethics and, and how to uh, incorporate them into our society. We can learn from India for sure. I like that. I guess China would have to be near the worst. Uh I wouldn't say so. I would say that for China, uh, we're going to see a lot of a lot of changes. You know, just by virtue of their population, I think it's 1.2 billion now. You know, the problems, the scale of the problems are, are, are huge. But with uh, the growth of China, and particularly the growth of the middle class, which is about 400 to 500 million people now, uh, there is a growing animal ethic. And the last time I was in China, because I've done some work in China, the biggest news item in all of China was uh, involving a magician who used a number of goldfish in an act, and this was the discussion all over China in the media. Was this magician being cruel to these goldfish? That would never happen in Canada. You know, if a magician was using goldfish, we wouldn't have any national discussion in the media about it, but but it happened in China. And I, I, remember, I remember working in a bar and, and the guy came in and he was eating goldfish. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But, you know, in China, this, this was the big item of discussion last wow. time I was there. Uh, and the growth of animal welfare groups, it's still in its infancy, but, but the numbers are exploding. So I, I think in China, even though it's a communist country, uh, we may see in the not too distant future movement uh, in the direction of protecting animals that is much, much more progressive than we see here. You know, so I, think, I, I think communication, modern communication has helped that because, you know, YouTube alone probably has more horrifying videos of animal cruelty than, than any other resource in the world. And, you know, that is international, and I think that's helping a great deal. I oh, agree. Absolutely. And, and for many uh, animal advocacy groups, the, the Internet is the great equalizer, whereas before, you know, it was very labor intensive trying to cultivate media and get your message out there. You know, it's, it's somewhat democratized now. Even small groups can, can utilize the Internet uh, in a cost effective way and uh, get the message out there to large numbers of people. So I think the Internet has is, is been a major factor in, in helping to push issues forward. 
Oh, yeah. I think I signed three petitions today already. <laughs> three petitions, and, and my daughter-in-law saved a cat. She sent the pictures around on Facebook, you know, mm. from, a, from a truck. Sure death. Sure death. And, uh, yeah, it's great. You know, it's, it's, it is. And, I mean, unfortunately, though, it goes the other way. There's a dark side. And, and even though, you know, I'm, and I'm speaking about the dentist who was vilified, which was a little bit overmuch. Uh, I mean, what he did was horrific, but I don't think he deserved to have his whole life torn apart necessarily. Mm-hmm. By what yeah, well, certainly, certainly there are uh, opportunities for people to exploit, you know, the Internet for whatever purpose they want. And there's a lot of information on the Internet that isn't vetted by anybody. So, mm-hmm. you know, people can say pretty much what they want. And if they're damaging somebody unfairly, uh, their reputation or their business or whatever, then, you know, that damage can be done before anybody can, can respond or, or before there can be any mitigation whatsoever. So, yeah, there, there is a dark side to it for sure. You know, it's kind of interesting, you mentioned India and and not that there aren't a lot of intelligent, educated people in India, but it, it doesn't seem to follow necessarily that if you're educated or if your country's wealthy or, you know, anything like that, that you are going to treat animals any better than anybody else. No, it doesn't. It's, it's very interesting because one would assume that if you're an affluent country, then you can afford to be kind to animals and do the things mm-hmm. that favor their interests. But what we've found is that, uh, and this is included in North America when you look at, you know, uh, individuals, that people who don't have much themselves tend to be more empathetic. That's true. Uh, you know, it's not, not uh, a hard and fast rule, but you do see that trend where people who don't have much themselves uh, do do care or seem to care more about animals. And we encountered this. I went on uh, this earth, earthquake relief thing in, in remote villages in Peru to help dogs. Mm-hmm. And the communities were devastated. The people had nothing. All their buildings had fallen down. And we set up dog clinics. And those people were so caring about their dogs. They came from miles to get their dogs vetted and treated. And they had nothing. Their houses had fallen down. And this is something I've seen all over the world. People that don't have much seem to care more. Maybe they can relate better to the animals. I don't know. Not just animals, to people. They let people in. They feed them. They have well, nothing, yet they'll true. still That's feed them, true. right? Yes, absolutely. Amazing. Uh, yeah. And I, I just want to ask an arbitrary question. You know, sure. the, what you said about vilifying the dentist for, because mm-hmm. he went to Africa, or, or was it Africa or India? Yeah, he went to Africa. Africa and, and shot On a reserve, wild animals. Yeah. If, he, if he had come into your backyard and shot your dog, right. the country would vilify him even worse. Why is it that we have compassion for our own pets, but yet we can dismiss a person hunting a wild animal? And that, oh, that, I, I don't dismiss it. Yeah, no, I know, I know. But that, that's where I find a lot of people, they have a disconnect. How, how it, is it that we But it wasn't just that he killed him. He beheaded him. Right, right. That's disgusting. It was cruel and unusual. Yeah, yes. cruel and unusual. But... but, but you know, may, maybe vilifying him was actually a good message to the rest of the world for this for this issue. And you know, Africa is one of the cruelest places in the world for animal treatment. But they had this reserve, and and he was on a reserve. The, that's what happened. The lion was on a reserve, protected sanctuary, and he got killed. Now, you know, the dentist said it was 
it was his 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 trapper whoever you know guide who pointed him in the right wrong direction and said this is okay but it wasn't okay so i think that that's from my understanding they they baited the animal too to get okay. to to a place where they could shoot him. where it was okay okay yeah. well yeah. i think that that entire case really highlighted the realities of much of big game hunting and it actually created sort of a a spin-off discussion about whether or not there's any real value in this in terms of conservation because most of the studies that are out there show that the purported benefits of allowing people to go and hunt animals as trophies that sort of trickle down to local communities and others, uh, they actually don't really exist or not in any substantive ways. So I think there may have been a benefit from this whole thing in, in a much broader way than just uh, dealing with this one case. Um, Dean, can you tell people how to find your music? Uh, basically online or get a hold of me through Facebook, and that's the easiest way. To <laughs> Everybody it. knows you on Facebook. They're all your friends. Uh, the whole world is listening to this. <laughs> tell people where to go. Amazon? Actually, Was, well, just uh, message CD me Baby? on Facebook. That's the best way. Then, okay, Dean uh, McTaggart. I'm, yeah, yeah, on Facebook. Uh, I'm doing every everything independently this, these days, Okay, as, as a lot of my friends are, and uh, that just works out better. And, and Rob, you're at zoocheck.com, www.zoocheck.com? That's correct. So anybody that wants to reach us, uh, they can easily look us up on, uh, look up our website or, or online through other... I just want to make sure I got that in there. We've got like only another yep. minute left to the show. And, and they can go to robladelowbooks.com as well. That's right. And Amazon? Yes, if anybody's interested in the books or just uh, look, up, look up my name on Amazon and, and they'll all pop up. Beautiful. Well, I want to thank each and every one of you so much um, for coming on the show. We're not going to be able to stick around after the show and, and allow me to say that to you because uh, my producer has to go over directly to another show. So I'm going to thank each of you right now. Arlie, thanks for coming and, and hanging out today. I As appreciate always, that. it's a joy and a privilege. Always. And Rob and, and Dean, I wish you all the very best in the future. And thank if there's anything I can ever do to help either, please let it me know. Very, very okay, enjoyable. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. Right. And, and thank you, uh, Karina, for producing the show today. And wherever you are in the world, I thank you for tuning in, and we will be back next week, same time. Bye now.